Let's take our Bibles today. We're going to turn to two spots to start with, but Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And then I also want to just uh, kind of take our Bible and turn at the same time to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to look at the first couple verses there. Now, I don't really know that Ephesians chapter 6 plays any factor whatsoever in the message. I just thought it's kind of an interesting parallel here. And so I thought we'd just share that real quickly and then kind of move on in the message. But again, we're glad you're here. And uh, <clears throat> man, I had, I had an awesome lunch today. I mean, I had variety. I mean, it was variety, you know? I mean, Thanksgiving was great. Don't misunderstand me. And it was. It was awesome. But today, I mean, listen to what I had for lunch today. This is just, now again, this was just, this wasn't everything that was available. This is what I had. I had Chicken Parmesan, not, not with spaghetti, just the chicken with the Parmesan cheese all over it and the crust oh, to die for. Meatloaf. I know you're saying that's crazy. It's a weird, yeah, chicken Parmesan, meatloaf. I had turkey. There's ham. Come on, I mean, that's the next thing to heaven. All that good grub. You kidding me? Man, it was good. I, I really, I didn't know if I'd make it in. I kind of limped in a little bit. I was kind of waddling as I came into the church tonight. So if I get kind of bogged down, you know, we may have to have Brother Quick jump up here and finish the message or something. But uh, Proverbs chapter 3, notice it says in verse 1, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace Shall they add to thee? Now I want you to look over at Ephesians chapter 6. I just think it's an interesting parallel here. The passage there in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, 
that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Again, I think those two passages really do kind of go hand in hand. And as we look at the passage in Proverbs, and that's where we're going to focus our attention tonight, but as we look at that passage in Proverbs, we note a couple of things. One, we note the relationship. That relationship that's expressed here in the passage is one of a father and a son. We see here he says, my son, my son. What an important and what a special relationship that is between father and son. At least it ought to be. And a father to his son, here we are uh, in our own lives, we're, we're children of God. And so we note that this relationship is a picture of something even greater. But for our purpose here as we look at the passage, we want to note first of all the relationship. Some father, a father, is speaking to his son. And he is reminding him of something. We see the reminder, forget not my law. Now listen, if there's any dad in the room that's of any, worth any salt at all, he has laid down some ground rules for his children. He lays down some rules, regulations, some standards. He puts some things down. He makes some commands. He demands certain things. He requires certain things. He expects certain things of his child. And in this particular case, dad is saying, my son, forget not my law. There's some things I've taught you. There's some things I've told you that I want you to remember. Note the responsibility. He says to his son, but let not thine heart, he says, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Boy, what a responsibility that is for the child as well as the believer in Christ to keep his commandments from the heart. That's a tremendous responsibility. We're going to talk a little bit more about that along the way in the message. But then finally, note the reward that is promised. He says, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. What's he saying? Well, first he noticed, we note the productivity that he guarantees. For length of days. I think that leans toward productivity because later he says long life. So I think, again, we're seeing that there's an element of productivity in the life of a person who remembers or does not forget the law but keeps those commands in the heart. And he says, man, that life of yours is going to be productive. That life of yours is going to be long. And notice he says, for length of days and long life. And finally, he says, peace. I don't know if there's a person in the room that doesn't want to experience peace in their life. You know, we talk about the passage over in the book of of uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. There's not one of us in the room that doesn't want love, joy, or peace. And in this case, a dad, a father, is speaking to his son and he says, I want to remind you, son, not to forget my law and I want you to realize how responsible you are to let thine heart keep my commandments and in so doing... Length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Now we emphasize keeping God's commands. And we do that for good reason, don't we? Someone may say, well, keeping his commandments ensures productivity. It, produce, uh, it ensures prolonged life. It, it guarantees peace in our life. Well, that's true to a degree, but it is not entirely true. Again, notice verse 1. My son... Forget not my law, but let, watch it now, here it is, thine heart keep my commandments. Boy, how important is that? Let thine heart keep my commandments. And here is where I believe lies the key to a truly successful Christian life. Let thine heart. There it is. Man, I'm telling you, what a powerful, powerful point and statement. See, it's not only what we do, but why we do what we do that matters so much. It isn't what we do with our hands, but how we think in our hearts that truly defines us before God. Turn to the passage, a well-known one. We've used it a few times here recently, but look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. We tie the Old Testament into the New and we recognize the truths of the Old Testament apply 
very, very well and extremely practically with the New Testament here in this particular case as we notice how the Lord sees you and me. Again, he's addressing and dealing with finding a king. And he sends Samuel to find a king. We see the sons of Jesse paraded before Samuel. We see Eliab the first. And boy, I mean, he is convinced this is the one. And the Lord says, but the Lord said unto Samuel, chapter 16, verse 7, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, I am always amazed, and again, I I can't help but say something about this. I am always amazed how quick we as believers are to utilize this passage to point out that God doesn't care how I look. He doesn't care even what I do to some degree. I'm amazed how we are so quick to do that when in the same breath he says, God looketh on the heart. Can I tell you, it's so much easier to look good on the outside than it is to be good on the inside. I I don't know about you, but I find it a lot easier to convince you that I'm a good person than to convince God I'm a good person. I think teenagers are very equipped at making all of us believe they're perfect citizens in the sight of the church, but I always believe that they're perfect in their hearts. I think the singles do a good job of helping us to buy into the idea that we have a wonderful group of singles that love the Lord Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, they may be fooling us because I can't see their heart. I'm going to tell you as a church, I look over the crowd and I see a wonderful group of people and when I say certain jokes or say certain things, you smile and laugh, which makes me feel great. But the truth is, is as good as you may look, and I'm not talking about your actual looks, only one of us looks that good. But you look good on the outside, maybe, but I'll tell you what, it's a lot harder to look good on the inside, isn't it? So it's amazing to me that the world, the the church, I should say, excuse me, would say things like, well, God doesn't really care what I look like. Oh, he looks at my heart. Do you realize how much more difficult it is to look good on the inside than the outside? Have you ever really stopped to think about that? God spends a lot of time dealing with the heart of man. Why? Because it's the heart that's the problem. My grandma used to say, you can put on the dog. It's still a dog. And I'm going to tell you something. We can all put on the dog. But what's on the inside is what's really important here. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 23, 7, the Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Have you ever walked into a place and you saw maybe a beautiful bowl of apples? I mean, they're beautiful. I mean, look like juicy apples. I don't know about you, but I like the kind of apples that are a little bit crisper, a little harder, and when you bite into them, they, they kind of crack and the juice shoots around. Those are the kind of, I don't like them soft apples. Now, I'm not a real big fan of that. When I was growing up as a kid, we might go to my grandma's house, and she lived in Northampton, and over there, she had a bunch of apple trees, and those, they had the green apples. You know, the kind you'd eat, a whole bunch of them, and then you'd have to stay close to the bathroom. And then, you know, not only that, but those green apples were really good. You know what they were good for? You know what they were good for? Throwing them at cars, driving down the road. I remember one time a car hit the brakes, and we took off running. We thought, we are done. They come up, who's throwing apples? They couldn't find us. We was down the swamp. But apples, can you imagine? You walk into a room and there's a beautiful bowl of juicy-looking apples. There's not a mark on them. I mean, they're perfect. They're just picturesque. Do you realize that there's a possibility that one of them or more may even have a worm in it? Now, among the thousands of apples that are grown every single year, some of them inevitably contain worms. Now, obviously, Producers of apples do their best to keep that from happening. And lots of people, you know, here's the thing, lots of people believe somehow that a worm works its way in from the outside to the middle, but that's not true at all. It's been discovered that the worm comes from the inside. You say, how in the world does that happen? Well, when the apple blossom is on the tree, an insect comes along and lays an egg in it. 
Well, during the development of that apple, the worm hatches in, inside the heart of that apple and it begins to grow and it begins to eat its way out. You know, sin's like that worm. In our hearts, it begins at the heart. It begins there and it works its way out. This idea that it's, man, God looks at the, uh, uh, God looks at the heart. That's such a blessing for me. That's such a wonderful thing to know. I'm gonna tell you something. That scares me. I'll tell you what, I find a lot easier to look good on the outside than the inside, and there's not a whole lot to work with sometimes here, but it's a lot more to work with than on in here. You know, there are a number of folks who appear to be keeping his commandments in their lives, and yet they experience so little peace and productivity. Their lives are filled with complexity and confusion, What's the reason for this apparent inconsistency? I mean, why is that? How's that possible? I believe it's found in this statement. Let thine heart keep my commandments. See, the blessing isn't promised to the one who simply by mere willpower performs the precepts of God's word, but to the one who keeps them from the heart. We got to be driven by delight, not by simply duty. If we hope to experience the blessings of God in our lives, then we will only find it when we obey in delight. See, the person who does the right things but does them only out of a sense of duty will ultimately fall and grow weary in well doing. The real challenge we face in our lives as believers and as leaders is, well, to borrow a phrase from Shakespeare, to be or not to be. That is the question. Did you get that? To be or not to be. See, it's not enough to simply do. We must be. Separation is biblical. If we've read the Bible at all, you know it is. But most often it's forsaken once someone's free from the accountability of others. What's the problem? How's that possible? Well, theirs is not a heart of obedience, but of self-obedience. What I mean by that is, is that they exercise some self-discipline maybe. But it's not who they really are. It's kind of the difference between I do versus who I am. It's the difference between how I behave versus who I've become. When a person walks out of the door of a church, for whatever reason it may be, and all of a sudden they leave their standards behind, my friend, that is a B problem, not a do problem. That's someone who has been doing but has not become exactly what God intended them to be. Their convictions weren't their convictions, they were only exercising a self-discipline. See, too many desire the affection and affirmation of others, and therefore they perform from the will and not from the heart. Once they're not personally benefiting from the behavior, they discard it for something that, well, lines up with what and who they really are. So how do we arrive at the standards we have as believers? Let me just quickly say, and We've taught on this years ago. I haven't taught on it recently, but I think I need to. First of all, principle. A Bible truth I must live by. We find a principle, a Bible truth that we must live by. Then we develop a conviction out of that principle. We develop a personal belief based upon that Bible principle. Okay, here's the, the, the Bible principle. Here's my conviction. Here's my personal belief based on that biblical truth that I just recognized and saw in Scripture. Then come our standards. Our standards are a policy that helps us keep our convictions. So we come to the Bible, we find a biblical principle. We develop a biblical conviction from the principle. We put a standard in place to protect our conviction. I wonder, what's the basis of your personal standards today? Do you have any standards, personal standards? 
I mean, what is it that you will watch versus what you won't watch? What is it that you will listen to that you won't versus what you will, will not listen to? Where will you go and where will you not go? Can I tell you that those are all standards? Now, again, the world doesn't like our standards in many cases. Sadly enough, most Christians don't appreciate, nor do they like or even tolerate the standards of a biblical Baptist church. But the fact is, is that they have their standards, they just don't like ours. The key is, is where is the foundation for your standards? I mean, why do you do what you do? How can we have a healthy heart for God then? Because that's really what it's all about is heart health. You know, we read a lot about heart health in, in the, the magazines and online about how important it is that we eat properly, that we you know, drink the right things, that we exercise enough. Why? So our heart's healthy, our heart's strong. Can I tell you, God is the author, author of heart health. He's been addressing the heart issue for years. Matter of fact, he does some heart surgery in order to cleanse us from our sin and to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. So how do we have a healthy heart for God? Because that's really what we're talking about when it's all said and done. Well, let's have a word of prayer and let me give you four simple things very quickly. Father, we come to you. We need you today. We love you. We just ask for your leadership. Speak to us now, Father. Do a miracle in our lives. Lord, may we really be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves the questions of why we do what we do, not just what we do. Try to understand what our motivation really is. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Hard health. So, as we said already, how can we have a healthy heart for God? Well, first of all, examine your motives regularly. Examine your motives regularly. We could take the time to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we would note that as we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, that he's going to look at our actions, our deeds, what sort they are. That's important, isn't it? I think that goes to motivation. I also want you to take your Bible now, and I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7, because we're going to see here, in essence, another judgment, and we're going to recognize that there were some folks doing the right things, but obviously their heart wasn't quite right in it. Chapter 7, verse 21. The Bible says in chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of him of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I can't even imagine getting to the place where I'm standing before God finally, believing somehow that I have accomplished something on his behalf, only to learn that he never even knew me. How can that happen? How is that possible? Because, see, God is more concerned about the heart than he is the hands. Go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, sing in the choir and play an instrument and teach Sunday school and get out on the bus routes and even go soul winning. And my friend, if that heart has not been addressed, my friend, you're in trouble. The psalmist says, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. The will of the Lord is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
You better have come to repentance. You better have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter what else you do. That'll mean nothing in the long run if you haven't settled your heart condition. You're dealing with the heart. Examine your motives regularly. Why do you do what you do? Why do you come to church? Is it to keep your parents off your back? Is it to get the approval of your friends? Is it to fit into some place, somewhere? I mean, I just don't fit in in the world, so I need to fit in somewhere, and the church is a good place. Is it to get a pat on the back? Is it to feel like you're somebody? Is it to affirm who and what you are? Is it to somehow make you feel good? You better examine your motives regularly. Why? Not just what? Well, I do the right things. I know, but why? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Because, see, it's our heart that keeps the commandments. That's the key. How many times have we, and we talked about this in our singles class a little bit, but how many times have we watched someone that appeared to be so faithful to the standards of the Lord, so faithful to the Word of God, and within a matter of a few months or even less sometimes, they kind of just derail and go off the deep end? How does that happen? It's because they were doing the right things, but they hadn't become the right thing. Because the heart had not been affected, only the hands. Because the behavior was perfectly fine. But they had failed to become what God intended. And that's Christ-like. That's dependent upon him. Examine your motives regularly. Number two, exercise your spiritual muscles. I mean, again, heart health, the heart's just a muscle, right? So if you want to have a healthy heart, you have to exercise your spiritual muscles. How do you do that? Hey, nothing new. You've heard it a million times. Study. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can I give you a piece of advice? You don't need to take a class on how to study the Bible to study your Bible. You know what you'll do? By nature, if you read your Bible enough, you'll find things in it that just make you curious. And you'll actually take time to look it up. You'll go, you know, I think I remember reading something over here. Let me look back over here. And you'll put this together with this, and you'll go, wow, that's awesome. You didn't even have to take a Bible class. You didn't even have to be taught by your Sunday school teacher how to study the Bible. It's just that the Bible's so valuable to you, it's so important to you, you spend so much time in it that you just can't help but want to get to know it better. Study. But then pray. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're going to exercise some spiritual muscles. We need to study. Not just read, but study. If you read it enough, you'll begin to study it. I promise you that. But also prayer. You know, if we could take the gloves off, if we could literally remove all the exterior Things like our suits and our ties and all the things that make us look good spiritually. And if we could just get down to these two thoughts, how much time do you spend in God's word and how much time do you spend in his presence? And then we wonder why our marriages are struggling. We wonder why our relationships aren't what they ought to be. We wonder why our children are going astray. We wonder why the world has such a grip on us. We wonder why we don't see anybody saved out soul winning. We wonder why our ministries are failing. We wonder why. Do we need to wonder? Do we? If we had spent one-tenth of the time 
reading our Bible as we do everything else and listening to everything and everyone else, we'd probably be 10 times stronger in our Christian faith than we are right now. If we spent one-tenth of the time talking to God as we talk to everyone else or listen to everyone else, we'd probably be 10 times stronger in our Christian walk than we are right now. And then finally, memorize. I, I talk about this a little more maybe than I used to, but turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 119, verse 11. If it's the preacher's job to try to exhort and encourage to prepare and ready people for the battle ahead, I, I don't know of a whole lot more that will prepare us than studying and praying and memorizing. Because notice what the Bible says here in Psalm chapter 119, verse 11. And again, I understand, and, and listen, I, I'm with you. If you're the person that says, preacher, you know what, I'd love to memorize scripture, I just don't do well with it. Yeah, and I don't do well with lifting uh, bench pressing 300 pounds anymore either. But you know what I still do? I try to stay in shape. I may not be able to do everything I used to do, but let me tell you something, I need to continue to do something. And when it comes to this area of memorization, I'm always amazed how it's either an all or nothing prospect with believers. Well, you just don't understand, Pastor, I, I struggle with memorization like I don't. I can't even remember names, let alone whole passages. But again, we can always have excuses why our spiritual life is failing and faltering. And it's always justified. If our marriages are failing and faltering, then we must jump on it and do something now. Because I'll look like a bad person if I don't. But if my relationship with the Lord is faltering and failing, well, that's normal because that's how it usually is in Christian lives today. So up and down. Oh, good today, bad tomorrow. Good today, bad tomorrow. Good today, bad tomorrow. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Can anybody, without yelling it out, I want a hand, can anybody tell me one tremendous piece of advice that a counselor could give somebody that is bound by sin that will help deliver them from that particular sin based on this passage? What's one piece of advice that the passage gives us. I'm struggling with, with pornography, Pastor. Well, what's the advice I should first give? Based on this, what, what's one good way to do that? What, anybody got a, yeah. Okay, well, let's get more specific. I mean, well, let's get even more specific, yeah. Memorize the scriptures. The Bible literally says, thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You got an area of your Christian life where you're failing, you continue to falter and you continue to come up short and honestly you know you're, you're, you're disappointing God, you're sinning against him, then memorize scriptures in that area that will ultimately help you to overcome sin in your life. The Bible's pretty clear on this. Now I don't know, maybe you've, you don't sin anymore. Maybe you got this all figured out. So you don't need to memorize anything. Or maybe today, for the first time, you realize, wow, you're telling me then, according to the word of God, right there it is, if I would hide, the, the psalmist hid the word, the word of God in his heart so that he wouldn't sin against God. Maybe if I don't want to sin against God, I ought to do the same thing. And if you've come to that for the first time in your life, it has opened up a new chapter in your Christianity. But maybe we've known this along the way, but we've just neglected it. Exercise your spiritual muscles. I mean, how can we have a healthy heart for God? Examine your motives regularly. Exercise your spiritual muscles. Number three, express your love and gratitude to God often. Listen, remember what he did for you on the cross. Never forget what he did. Never forget that price that he paid. Boy, what a great price it was. Remember we talked about, and I, I mentioned in the earlier service, you know, one of the things people often say is, is that, you know, um, 
I'll be honest with you. I think even, you know, the devil, he, he's not always telling the truth. But uh, can I tell you that there are some things that are more valuable to someone than li- their life, their, even their life? Do you know that there's mothers that would give their life for their children? You know the difference between Jesus Christ who did give his life for us and say a mother that gives his life for a child? Can I tell you the difference really? He was perfect, she's not. His sacrifice was totally undeserved. Can I tell you in the long run, all of us deserve death? The wages of sin is death. Do you recognize, do you realize the awful price that Christ paid for you? He became your propitiation. What the Bible is basically saying there in 1 John is he's letting us know that he met the, 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 the righteous demands of the heavenly father. Only Christ could do that. He was perfect God and he was perfect man. He could be the mediator between God and man because he was all God and all man and he could bring the two together. And he did that all for you and he did it all for me. Man, I want to have some good heart health for God. I, I want God to be able to look at my heart and see the right things. Can I tell you that one of, the, one of the aspects that will be helpful in that is to express your love and gratitude to him often, to consistently and constantly remember what God has done for you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Galatians 6, 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The Apostle Paul looked to that cross often as he sought to live a life that was worthy of the calling God gave him. He said, I glory in the cross of Christ. Examine your motives regularly. Exercise your spiritual muscles. Express your love and gratitude to God often. And finally, expel all ungodly thoughts from your mind. Bad thoughts equal bad trouble. We spoke of this in our study some time ago dealing with that issue. But bad thoughts mean bad trouble. Turn to Philippians 4.8 again. Again, a powerful passage. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. There in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we read, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Man, if we want good heart health, and we better be thinking about the right things, focusing on the right things, dwelling on the proper things. I don't know if there's one thing that's more detrimental to your heart than stress in your life. Oh, we can talk about smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and, and dealing with all, but let me tell you something. God spends a lot of time telling you and I not to fret, to be careful for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And he goes on to say, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Why does he spend so much time addressing that issue? Because he recognizes this. If you are dwelling on the wrong things, if you are fretting and worrying and always burdened down with life, my friend, it's going to be hard to have some good spiritual heart health. Not only that, it's hard on your physical heart too. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What a man is can only truly be measured from the inside. 
Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. <clears throat> there we read the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, O generation of vipers. Speaking, of course, to the religious leaders of his day. Speaking to those who look like whited sepulchers on the outside. Beautiful. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See, what a man is can only truly be measured by the inside. We were talking to the class this morning, and the singles and I was telling them, I said, you know, it's interesting that you can dress the part, you can act the part, you can be everything, or at least appear to be the part. But let me tell you what will give you away. Your lips. Okay, go ahead and, and spend a little bit of time talking to someone. You speak long enough to somebody, you learn who they are. Oh, they can, they can uh, as we said, put on the dog for a while. They can pretend to be something they're not for so, only so long, but sooner or later, you talk to them long enough, you'll trip them up. You talk to them long enough, the truth will come out. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Because you can't hide what you are on the inside because it ultimately comes out of here. That's why the Bible says, even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise. Because as long as he shuts his lips, nobody knows how foolish he is. Nobody knows how ignorant he may be. But the moment he opens his mouth, it's over. You know, it always gets me, these guys that take advantage of young girls. And they'll say, yeah, but she said she was 20. Did you talk to her for five minutes? Did you even talk to her for five minutes? Because if you did, you would know she wasn't 20. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You knew she wasn't 20. You would have known that if you took the time to even care enough to find out. And let me tell you something. Sometimes we think someone's been telling on us, but they haven't. We've been telling on ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Boy, expel any godly thoughts from your mind. If you really want good heart health, if you want to be right with God in the heart, and again, that's what God is looking at. He looks on the, the inside. He looks at the heart. And if we want a heart that is acceptable and pleasing in his sight, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If we want that in our life, then we really need to work at some healthy heart attitudes and healthy heart actions in our life. Man, we need to examine our motives regularly. We need to exercise our spiritual muscles. We need to express our love and gratitude to God often, and we need to expel any ungodly thoughts from our minds. Boy, I'll tell you what, in the generation and the day in which we live, that's a constant battle. Whether you're a man or a woman, that is a constant battle. We have reprogrammed women today, young girls, to lust after the flesh like never before. It is so sad. It's not just men today because we've reprogrammed. We are reprogramming men to be women and women to be men. Isn't that horrible? Re-engineering. We are engineering people today. Socially re-engineering people. But think about it. Our social re-engineering is totally and completely anti-Bible, anti-God. It goes against everything that God says is sacred. My son, forget not my law, 
But let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. The writer says, let thine heart keep my commandments. He didn't say just do my commandments. Although that will be the outworking of a heart that it has good spiritual health. He says, let thine heart keep my commandments. See, it's motive, not motion, that's the key. It's a matter of who I am versus what I do. It's a matter of being versus doing. Peace and perseverance are the byproduct of a heart of obedience. If you lack peace today, if you lack perseverance, you're struggling to keep on going in the Christian life. You always feel like giving up and quitting. I I used to get so sick and tired of hearing preachers talk about every Monday morning I want to quit. I never wanted to quit. Honestly, I mean, even on my worst day, I never wanted to give up the ministry. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with our heart? It's like saying, I've had a tragedy in my life. I just want to give up on God. What? He's the best thing you got going. He's the best thing I got going. Peace and perseverance are the byproduct of a heart of obedience. And the Christian who obeys out of duty will eventually burn out. See, I'm not a fan of the word burnout. I hated it. Back in the 90s, it became extremely popular. I used to get sick and tired of hearing preachers talk about how their people were going to burn out if they work too hard and how preachers burn out because they're trying too hard to please the Lord and not take care of their families and blah, blah, blah. I hate that stuff. You keep your heart right with God, you won't burn out. I'm sorry, but that's a reality. It's when we get out of balance. It's not God. God's never out of balance, and God never expects you to be out of balance. God never asks you to choose, even as a preacher, the ministry over your family or your family over the ministry. never does. He doesn't do that. He's not going to ask you to choose between the ministry or your family or your wife or your ch- He will never do that because, see, they're all ordained of God. They all have their rightful place in your life, and God's going to ensure if we're right with God, then we'll have the proper balance. And when we're in balance, we run like a clock when we get out of balance that all of a sudden it becomes drudgery, becomes a burden. It's a battle now just to do right. And it's easy to burn out under those circumstances and conditions. However, the believer who obeys out of delight and from the heart will know God's greatest blessings. Honestly, do you know how hard it's going to be? How, you know how tough it's going to be for me tonight, to, uh, for, for me to go home tonight? Do you know how hard it's going to be to have to go home and spend time with my wife? you realize how tough that's going to be? That's not a good question. I'm going to be like uh, potentially our potential president who said that's, that's not a proper question to ask in a church service like this. Joe, uh, well, whatever. I don't consider, I, listen, I'll be honest with you, as far as I'm concerned, Biden ain't won yet. So anyway, we'll move on from there. But we'll move on from there, okay? All right, we'll just move on, okay? Because some of you are getting all upset because you're talking about politics now. <laughs> that wasn't the point, okay? Whether she snores or not, brother. My point is this. Good question, though. You know it's not going to be hard for me to go home tonight. You want to know why? I love my wife. It's a delight to be around her. There's nothing difficult about that. It's not a burden I have to bear. It's not some drudgery. It's not some, oh. You know, when we enjoy things, it's easy. You know what? If our heart health is where it ought to be, Do you know that reading our Bible is not a burden? Do you realize if our heart health is what it ought to be, praying is not so difficult? It's not such a challenge? we we, We almost want to. Of course we want to. 
I, did, I said almost. I was just being facetious. And you know what else? Living for the Lord, obeying his word, isn't such a burden. It's not grievous to us anymore. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Hey, make sure, if you want heart, a healthy heart with God, examine your motives regularly. Exercise your spiritual muscles. Express your love and gratitude to God often. And expel any ungodly thoughts from your mind. I'll tell you what, then you'll know what length of days and long life and peace are all about. You'll know the blessing of God. I'll know the blessing of God. We have a spiritually healthy heart. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we've had together in your word, just a simple time, just a real basic fundamental truths. We ask, Lord, you'd help us to examine our hearts, to truly take the time to look deep within, to realize and recognize that you do that, that you're looking beyond what we do and you're looking at who and what we've become and what we are. May we focus on becoming what we're supposed to be, becoming Christ-like, being more dependent upon you than ever. May we be more focused on that than we are anything else, knowing that everything else will fall into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We love you for those truths. We ask you to meet our needs tonight. We'll thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe tonight you don't know for sure if you